0: Thank you for tuning in to Sparks and Honey's Daily Culture Briefing. My name is Ben Grinspan, and today we're going to be looking at culture in the vertical, using Q, our cultural intelligence platform, to unpack trends and changes in human behavior. And joining me today as my uh, co-briefer and uh, a Pokemon expert, uh, we just found out, uh, Carrera Kernick. We're also joined uh, by, you know, uh, five feet to my uh, to my right by uh, Ketsi Tipe, and calling in from London, we have the wonderful Brendan Shaughnessy. So we're excited to have... Everybody on today, uh, getting a little lit here and continuing our coverage and recent conversations about the future of storytelling. Because, you know, whether you work in advertising or marketing or performance metrics, anybody perhaps uh, within the Omnicom family, at, uh, at your heart, you are a storyteller. And really, kind of everybody who does anything needs to be good at this stuff. So, we want to take a look at a couple of different technologies. And this is something that I think we'll be coming back to. Uh, for the next, uh, you know, as long as we keep interested in, and um, we thought actually, we we were like, we'll do a VR briefing, and, and then we sort of realized, you know, let's talk about AR, who I feel like is sort of the Solange of uh, the AR, VR, you know, incredibly <laughs> talented, maybe shown up a little bit by its older sister virtual reality, so we are going to stick with AR today to really talk about what uh, is going on in the world of augmented uh, reality. And, and, and what are our big questions for today? Well, so first, we want to know what AR applications are winning consumer attention, and I think more importantly, affection, and what emerging creative practices and consumer behaviors around AR will dominate the future of the medium. So uh, unsurprisingly, we have something like 20,000 signals, which is a lot. That's a really solid number. Um, my uh, suspicion is that virtual reality would get uh, even more, because it gets discussed just a tiny bit more than that, as I was saying earlier. Um, but obviously, you can see, I mean, look, we've got stuff coming in from Thailand, from Belgium, from the US. So we're having some pretty broad cultural conversations, I think, about augmented reality. And as we dive into our elements of culture, which are, there we go. OK, um, so there's lots coming up here. And I think part of this, I'll give you guys a little heads up, we did build a fairly complex Boolean here. right? There are two ways you could, you could research this on Q. Both equally valid. Um, one would be just to really simply look at the terms around augmented uh, reality, right? Definitely a way forward. Today, though, we wanted to look a little bit more at some different ways that it might manifest itself in culture. And that's why this is maybe more of a culture-forward map than perhaps a tech-forward map. And so that's why you're seeing ones around moral imperative, ancient wisdom, mind management. Um, there is one here that's really important. that would definitely show up on both. And Carrera, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second. Tell us about tangible, intangible, why is it showing up here, what does it have to do with augmented reality?
1: Right, so when we think of tangible, intangible as an EOC, it's usually taking company values uh, that kind of are ideas and thoughts and, and feelings and then making them tangible. So, um, here we're kind of taking company ideas of about the brand or storytelling element and then making it tangible or I guess just viewable through, yeah. um, <laughs> through VR. Um, and we'll talk a lot more about that in some of the signals today. Yeah,
0: perfect. All right. Well, I think we should jump in and, uh, we'll, we'll start here. Uh, with the fact that uh, it's a really good time to be having this conversation about augmented reality. So not a huge surprise that today's briefing uh, starts with an editorial from someone who works at uh, Snap, the family, uh, uh, the parent company of, of Snapchat that's doing a lot of cool stuff in the AR space. right? So Group Product Marketing Manager Kathleen Gambarelli writes here in Adweek that, whether we know it or not, today is, quote, uh, a storefront is determined by your access to the internet, not your physical location. And that's where augmented reality comes in, right? augmented reality for Gambarelli need not be just a means of entertainment, but instead can be something that really transforms the consumer journey and all that good old fashioned CX that we were talking about yesterday. Good information not only opens up what products we can we might consider, Gambarelli tells us, but also allows us to ultimately be more confident in our purchasing decisions, and that's something that AR can do. It can make those feel more tangible and therefore give us more confidence and more um, agency. At least according uh, to to Gambarelli here, and I think that's what's interesting to s- suggest that it's not just that the technology is finally here for us to really play around with AR, but that it may be really good for the market. So it's not just an investment in doing something interesting. It's an investment in making people feel perhaps more positive about your products and your brand. So as we kick off this briefing, thinking about augmented reality and the way it can change storytelling, I'm, I'm really curious here about Gambarelli's connection between good storytelling, immersive storytelling, and confidence. And I'm curious if you guys also see that connection, that really effective, immersive storytelling can make us more confident in those purchasing decisions that, that we make. And Ketsi, I might start with you, because we were just chatting about this a little bit earlier.
2: Yeah, so um, I have a few takes on it. I think it depends on the industry. So for example, if you were to look at um, the fashion industry, I don't think if, if you were to try on clothes, for example, I don't think that AR is developed enough to maybe um, have a sort of resolution focus on like the types of materials or like the right tone or maybe capturing the right tone of someone to see if it would sort of match that thing. So I feel like when it comes to trying on certain clothes, Mm. if it's not really represented properly, that could affect the confidence of how you feel. Or Maybe it's even better in person and you don't know. But for example, in like the beauty and cosmetics industry, that could up your confidence, for example, um, especially if you're in the cyber world. But then there's kind of a flip side to that where in real life, you know, that could cause confidence issues. There are already conversations about that in Congress of um, to what degree Mm. should filters um, be so high? Um, And then, uh, yeah, I also think um, in the film industry, that's something that we could look into too. Um, 3D film is basically like um, a version of of AR reality, and I think if it's done really well, that could drive up confidence for the viewers too and potentially sales.
0: Yeah, Uh, and I I love that you bring it back to that policy level. We did see lagging laws there, you're right. I mean, a filter uh, like that—a uh, filter—is a version of augmented reality, functionally, right? I mean, of course it is, but also, you know, taking that, posting that augmented photo. I mean, people were talking about how filtered Ivanka Trump's face uh, looked on those January sixth hearings, so they're popping up everywhere. Um, Brendan, what's your take? Is there that? Is what? What's the connection between perhaps consumer confidence and good
3: storytelling? Well, I think what we're talking about here is information and access to information, and we have like so much breadth of information, but I think the Interesting and exciting aspect of augmented reality is it's going to provide us with a new level of depth of information. So when we talk about tangible and tangible, like Carrera was mentioning, being able to go and understand layers of t- uh, layers of uh, of information between the product, the packaging sourcing, all of these things I think will, will provide us new layers and context to um, layers of engagement. And, and storytelling is going to be weaved throughout that, that technology and that application.
0: Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, obviously augmented reality is literally like a 3D representation, in many cases, a 3D representation. And I love your idea of not only adding breadth of information, but depth of information, uh, information and thinking in a multi dimensional way about how you do storytelling and therefore the impact of what that storytelling can do. Mm-hmm. Okay, we started with snap. Let's move over to Google, who uh, famously had Google glasses about a decade ago and well, maybe they're being resurrected, tells me right. career.
1: So Google's recently unveiled their latest AR glasses, and the key feature that they wanted to show off was live translation. So if someone's speaking to you in another language, you will see it translated live through the, through the glasses. And so while a big part of Silicon Valley is heavily invested in making AR glasses a reality, this article kind of pushes the envelope here. They say, thus far, no one has suggested a truly exciting app for AR that would make users overlook the wide variety of privacy concerns inherent to the tech, uh, but live translating the spoken word would definitely be an attractive feature. So my question for the panel is, why do you think Google is putting their bet on a, like consumer adoption around accessibility features rather than these tactics around like gamification or entertainment that we've seen before?
3: I'll, I'll, I'll hit first. Um, so this is really interesting to me because Snapchat also is doing something in the same space. Um, they just came out with a, uh, an AR filter that allows you to practice and speak uh, in American Sign Language too. So more gesture based as opposed to spoken word. But um, I think the, the, the commonality here is empathy, right? Um, I, I like to think of augmented reality the same way that self-driving cars require um, things like correction of, of uh, when you're on the on the road, That that's like the first step. So if the augmented reality is the first step uh, of, of a fully immersive metaverse, we have to have some of these training wheel technologies that are gonna help us actually become fully immersed. So I think, again, practicing connecting with others through language and empathizing with other people and, and increasing accessibility is a huge and really, really smart and strategic part for, for both Google and Snapchat, of thinking about this technology that has some baggage associated with it. To how do we actually embrace it on its best day is a, is a really cool way to, I think, go out with it.
2: Yeah, um, when I first saw this, when I thought of Google and air glasses, um, the first thing I thought of were ads. Um, I think that although these things are great, I do think that um, it's an opportunity for, like, virtual product placement, for example. So so with this kind of thing, um, would they, I don't know, have some sort of pop-up for um, Duolingo, for example? Would that be um, an opportunity for them um, in that space? Um, And also, if you look at, like, hardware, how would that be designed in the future? Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I uh, you're totally right about the ads we're gonna get to more of that I mean there's part of me the cynical part of me is I mean it's not even that cynical the, but there's part of me that's like Google is doing the translate because Google Translate works really really well and has proven itself out and so if I was running a, a, if I was trying to run this experiment I would start with a product that I knew was valuable that I knew meant the stuff to people and, and experiment with that and leave the you know the the pop-up ads or like the you know the turnaround in Wikipedia tells you everything going on in Google glasses like that's going to take a little bit more time before that really comes to comes to life um, but let's look at the future, and our, our favorite thing to do is look at the future is just look at what's happening in China today. So, Kari, um, tell us about uh, a consumer-ready AR uh, right. over in China.
1: So AR e-commerce is still nascent in China, but the technology is gaining traction among the country's hundreds of millions of novelty-seeking online shoppers. So VR revenues in China from hardware to content uh, will more than double that of AR in 2021, but AR is going to catch up in 2024 and surpass VR, which I thought was very interesting. Um, several Chinese brands are introducing a new generation of less bulky, more affordable, hands-free AR glasses. For example, the NREAL air glasses resemble just a normal pair of glasses, and they're under $600. So when you compare that to Microsoft's HoloLens, which is over $3,000, know, we're seeing the more innovation in this market here. So as far as some examples of innovators in this field, we've got Alibaba, who's really... Tr- um, going into that AR try-on experience uh, lane, and they're seeing that 100 million shoppers are coming to its AR stores, and it's resulted in over 19.2% jump in con- uh, conversion for furniture and also clothing and sneakers and accessories. Mm. Um, Harbin Beer also released new types of packaging for its Lunar New Year marketing campaign. So by scanning physical products, uh, you'll get pop-ups that will allow you to win digital money-filled red packets. So there's some, a game of element that's really interesting here. So question for the panel. Uh, Putting on our strategy hats here, what kind of AR activations do you think would be engaging for consumers um, while they're shopping with retailers? Or maybe you know of an example already that might be best in class as far as AR e-commerce?
2: Yeah. Um, I think that holograms are something that are very emergent, and I guess um, a version of um, AR. Um, An example of this would be um, the BTS Coldplay um, collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, the name of the show is slipping at me, but um, basically Coldplay did, um, did, a, did a live concert and then BT- BTS um, ha- were there holographically. Ah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's really interesting. I think if we were to bring it into um, the shopping space, maybe we could have um, holograms, we could bring holograms into brick and mortar stores. Um, and then there would also be a very interesting advertising strategy around that too. For example, Um, So if you were to bring a hologram into a store like that, um, what kind of influence would you bring? What kind of um, products would they be next to and that sort of thing? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's funny. We were doing some work, I guess it was a year ago, might have been two years ago, honestly, uh, for a beverage company looking at, Technologies like this. And there was a new brand of water that was released that was called something that was like positioning itself as like the most environmentally friendly water ever. And it had this AR application where you haul up a smartphone to it and basically you saw like the packaging started to sort of move and show off like cartoons of like the fun animals have it you know splashing around in the water. That was cute, right? That is a good, cute version of of storytelling. I do think what's limited about it, and what might not be limited if you put it in a store, because I think it's really obvious what it would be, is like, where's the call to action? right? Marketers need to be good storytellers and then offer a call to action. If you're just doing something where you scan this, you know this water bottle and it shows off little cartoons, like I, I think that's a nice to have, but I don't know where that uh, makes that in- so my, putting my strategist hat on as you said, that feels like half the story because you need a call to action to make right. people do more than just think that it's like, oh, this is a thing I can do because, Ultimately, what's—I mean, I hate to—I hate to uh, question storytelling, but ultimately, what's the point for marketers if
3: they don't have something to follow up with? Brendan, am I being too harsh here? Yeah, you—you really loving to put on your your skeptic hat today, Ben. Um, <laughs> I—I just—I guess I'll say from from my perspective, where it's most exciting is where you lay. I, I think my my first example that comes to mind is IKEA, and if you look at some of the examples that Carrera surfaced in terms of being currently high-resonating furniture and clothing, it all has to do with things that we have context to today in my immediate world, right? So when we talk about AR and VR and we think, what's the most future-focused thing, like virtual clothing and virtual homes, that's just so far out. Like, I I don't care about virtual Nikes. I want to think about myself in the context of my own home or transforming my own outfit. And so I think looking at those spaces of how can you help add to a, a consumer story through what's most closely changing in their world oftentimes that's our—that's our, ourselves or our house or our immediate environment is where you're gonna see the most results. And so I think that IKEA example of, you know, visualizing what furniture would fit in your space really sort of set the standard. Now that's kind of old now. So like, how will that continue with technology getting better, I think is the challenge.
0: I guess what I'd say is clear though, is if you're, if you're looking at a, a Billy bookshelf in AR in your space, the call to action there is clear. It fits and I buy the Billy bookshelf. I don't know what happens when you already bought the product And then it's just showing you sort of what's there. You need something else.
1: Well, I wonder if we take it to provenance and, I mean, maybe this is still when you're in the store, but, you know, you hold your phone up to the sweater and then you see the AR resemblance of the woman who knit it. And you kind of get, maybe she says, look, I do this stitch and this stitch Mm -hmm. and this is what it means in like Celtic tradition to knit this way. Uh, Or you're going to buy the Fiji water and then you get like the sounds and the atmosphere of Fiji. And I think that's really where the like multi-dimensional storytelling comes into place.
0: Yeah, uh, speaking of uh, animals, that was AR. Uh, <laughs> anybody seen any cool examples before we move on? Or does anybody have an AR example that's like top of mind? And uh, you can let it marinate a little bit. But I'd love to hear if uh, sife. I've seen I smartphone-based AR examples where yeah. you can scan a UPC code and see if it's keto-friendly or paleo-friendly, right? And
4: it might help even after you've purchased the product, because half, half the stuff in the house is not for me. It's for the kids. Um, if I could get that more, more transparently with with glasses or something, that would be great. Yeah.
1: Or a chef pops up and teaches you the recipe that's keto friendly with the thing.
0: So the idea is get Google glasses and attach them to shopping carts when you go to like when you go to Wakeman's or something and pop them on and have an AR experience as you go shopping, right? Why not? Um, well, I think what Career's kind
3: of pointing out here too is that. Some of these require partnerships that a lot of brands haven't required or haven't made yet yeah and so if it's if it's about you know pairing up a speaker with um with spotify with whatever like uh, some form of apparel all of those things are only able to exist at like a brand network system so for those that don't have that ability or marketplace how do you orchestrate those partnerships is the challenge using this technology yeah
0: all right. Well, let's um, let's move on to to public policy, which might not sound like the most natural thing to talk about as we talk about AR at this moment. But there's some really interesting stuff going on there about how people can use AR uh, functionally to reach. Uh, sort of meaningful public policy goals. GovTech.com reports that the University of, Cent- uh, of Michigan's Center for Academic Innovation and the edtech company Coursera are using quote extended reality, which is just another name for uh, AR, uh, to build courses to prepare students for jobs in increasingly digitized industries like manufacturing and healthcare. Uh, the university announced, uh, I guess, a couple months ago. Um, according to the press release on the program, quote the courses will be part of the center's upcoming Michigan Online Future of Work Academy. Where learners will, quote, develop skills critical uh, to the future of work and society in virtual, augmented, and mixed reality environments. One can imagine uh, then, say, a savvy department of education, uh, you know, working with a technology that, you know, with working with technology that high schoolers, or maybe people in trade school, or even college students, these, these skills that people might want to know and functionally using AR to sort of build out some of that, uh, that reskilling or that or that x-skilling that we sometimes uh, talk about. And obviously, there is a VR application here. But if you dig into this article, it does seem more like they're thinking about how this would function with AR. And uh, a million years ago, we talked about this actually going on at the Singapore airport with uh, workers there wearing these advanced goggles, basically, to help them get information as they ran you know, Changi, which is an incredibly, uh, bi- or was an incredibly busy space. So I guess I'm, I'm curious how we can tie this to, to storytelling, right? Because that's fundamentally what we're hoping to do here. Um, when it comes to skilling, when it comes to sort of the future of work, I'm curious about the, the value of storytelling, what that matters, how we sort of break through, right? And uh, does this sort of advanced technology have a role to, to play in that?
2: Um, Yeah, I think that uh, there is an emerging space um, to reskill through VR, but I think um, the bigger question is about data accessibility. Hmm. So I know um, in South Africa, for example, um, there are very, very high prices around that, and there have even been um, movements to kind of reduce the prices. Um, I don't even think um, that's made a huge change. But um, in more denser countries, like Nigeria, for example, um, the data is a lot cheaper. So then if you were to pose a question of, Would countries with denser populations or lower data prices have more access to these opportunities? Um, That would be something to see in the future.
0: Yeah, and I I think that raises some really interesting questions about functionally equity, right? I mean, it's one thing to build public policy programs that are smartphone accessible i mean like god if you look at the numbers of you know millennials and gen and gen xers or gen zers like of all stripes uh, in the us who have access to smartphones it's really high and even in developing countries like nigeria it's, it's pretty darn high the problem is if you put that in that technology into maybe headsets that people don't have, and so you'd have to be careful with what sort of platform you're building. If if you want to, you know, it has to be accessible to the public. If it's to be a real public policy goal, mm-hmm. you have to match that public platform. I, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, if we were to think um, kind of anthropologically, where like uh, storytelling meets education, I feel like the first educators were storytellers. You right. know, you would be telling the story of you know avoid the fire through a story. So it is interesting to see these two aspects come together here, and and to think of professors as storytellers. And yeah. we know that we remember things through stories. So how do we become, how do we bring more storytelling, and immersive storytelling aspects into the learning experience? I think is a great idea.
0: I love that. That's the sort of ancient wisdom that we saw. <laughs> earlier. Okay, so we've talked about public policy. Let's talk about packaging.
1: Yeah, so basically this signal is just some best-in-class examples, and I'm just going to go through them. If you can look at the Example on the screen here this is a cereal box that has an air application where you're able to do a synth machine drum. Depending on where you put the cereal on the box, it will uh, do like different noises, which is, which is a quite like quite a fun, interesting activity for your kids uh, at the breakfast table. Other examples listed in this um, signal. Are, is this edible weed company called Wana Brands and they released an AR package to promote their new cannabis product line and the, te- the technology takes people on a 3D animated experience in which they learn about several flavors and edible gummies so you know kind of a storytelling mm-hmm. journey through product um, know-how and then finally um, sometimes the AR experience happens in the supermarket so Bothwell Cheese recently showed that, that it's possible in advertising its new line of lactose-free items so People scan the QR code on the packaging, and the floor uh, anchors a hologram of a chef that pops up and tells you all about the lactose-free cheeses. So um, (laughs) this is going to be launched in hundreds of Canadian supermarkets, my home country. So I've got a question for the panel here. Do you guys have any uh, predictions on the future of AR packaging? Do we think that we'll see any, maybe, consumer backlash uh, against any of this AR stuff? What, what, What do you think people might not like?
2: Um, yeah, <laughs> one of them. Um, I do think it's really interesting. I think that if we take it a step further, it could also be used as a sort of marketing strategy. Um, maybe you'd input your, do- your, your data, and then um, you could be led to a side. Um, obviously, like it would collect your data to make the experience better, but because there's a lot of... Um, I guess, dispute around that. That could be a potential um, backlash.
0: Yeah. I love that this is popping up in, in children's breakfast cereals. I don't think I've ever had Reese's Puffs. Um, but I, this is, what? I mean, Reese's for breakfast. I I I, I'm 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 missing out clearly. Um, No, I mean literally the history of like children's breakfast cereals is like them competing with sort of storytelling. Right, that's why they all have random animal sort of um, mascots. Toucan Sam doesn't actually have anything to do with fruit loops. Sorry, Aaron. Uh, I need you to know that. So right. So I do love. So it does it. It does make sense to try to make these interactive, to kind of make kids get involved in this. Because literally, packaging is the, in some ways, is the war that you have to win if you're trying to sell breakfast cereals to kids, right? So shout out to Reese's Puffs. I mean, it does sound like kind of irritating. You're trying to rush your kids out the door, and they're like, give me your smartphone. But that's a problem for the parents. Um, So I I do really love this.
3: so, I mean, I remember being, I, I think for, from a from a child perspective, this makes total sense, right? Because we love technologies and games. I remember getting a CD-ROM in Cap'n Crunch Serial, and that was one of the first online games that I put into my CD-ROM, um, definitely dating myself here. But I think if we think about emerging technologies, QR codes, certainly um, uh, even thinking about NFTs as a thing that you might, you know, get as a, as a component of, of some of these uh uh, cpg brands or or food brands the question is i think what what do how do brands actually benefit or how do they actually make things helpful because my guess is like most people don't really care that much about the things that they buy um, unless they're interacting with them in a fun way Um, some people might really care about the whole history of the of the brand and of the sourcing but for other people they're not going to so i think what we're going to move into is a phase of more targeted um, uh, AR applications and bringing clarity to the space of saying what is the thing that provides the most value through an AR application, not just you know giving a fire hose of information about anything and everything that we could tell. So it's gonna it's gonna require brands become much more uh, um, uh, concise, uh, which I am not being right now. So
0: no, but yeah, I, I I love that. It makes me sit here thinking that some of the like the fundamental values of AR are not only making sure that there is like. A call to action if you're marketing with it, but also just like fun, you know? Like like literally make sure that it is fun. If it's not fun, that's maybe a threat to the public policy one we just saw. But make sure it's fun, because that is really what the value is at, at at the moment. And that's not an easy that's a challenge in some way. I mean the beauty industry should embrace AR, but beauty isn't always positioned as being fun, right? You know, so there are some some steps to figure out. That said, I do have to go back to something Ketsy raised. And we'll move on here to talk about um, ads and how, and how the ad industry will get to use AR. So last month at Upfront, a crucial yearly moment where content creators and ad sellers preview basically major platform content, NBC Universal revealed a plan to, quote, leverage AR advertising for immersive metaverse-style experiences and sequential ad storytelling uh, that pulls uh, consumers uh, through to the purchase funnel throughout the day. So what does that all mean, right? So we know that people's uh, viewing habits are changing, right? NBC uh, Universal Global CMO Josh Feldman says, um, and uh, confirms this, and notes that uh, the nearly century-old broadcasting company knows that it's not just about delivering impressions; uh, it's about getting people to lean forward. Now, right? They understand that advertising must be engaging to be in- impactful. This isn't the 1970s anymore, when you can just sort of run whenever, whatever you want. And that's, of course, where AR comes in. NBCU wants uh, to use the technology as an entry point to the metaverse and its metaverse content. Uh, It's a mobile-led initiative that takes consumers from popular content they love into more immersive environments via a QR code uh, where brands can connect further. So for example, with Bravo's popular show uh, Top Chef, uh, viewers can go use their mobile phones and QR codes uh, to get into the Top Chef virtual kitchen environment with marketers and brands immersed and, and viewers getting to feel like they're cooking with the chefs themselves, right? And, I, you know, I mean, look, there's some, some things here that fundamentally make sense. You're asking people to use, again, a device they already have, their mobile phones. You're not asking them to put on, you know, Oculus Rifts, which they might not have. It all makes sense. Another idea here is to lean into sequential storytelling using advanced tech like AR to tell consumers little stories throughout the day and sort of bring people along that way. But ultimately, where they're landing is AR advertising uh, strategies that are really engaging and really matter to people. But are fundamentally there to sell products, and that gets the conversation that um, uh, what what Ketsy was head to, hinting at earlier here um, about how to carefully enter, I think, the the AR space using advertising. Right? It is fundamental to NBCU's platform. I think they're a pretty advanced. Uh, I think they're thinking in a pretty advanced way. But it does raise some questions that we were talking about in our last Future of Storytelling briefing about the kind of the risk that you pose when you add immersive technologies. And advertising together, so I'm curious how can that be done in a way that feels additive and not exploitative? Um, I'm curious if anybody in the in the audience has some thoughts about that, but I'll you know open it up to the panel as well. And uh, yes, David, please i us <laughs> hear your thoughts.
5: Hey, sorry I'm running late here. Um, I did see you were talking about Google Glass. I did wear them every day for Dude. two and a half years by the only person in this room who wore them like that. In this country. I remember seeing (laughs) them everywhere I went. Uh, I had a teenage daughter, and it was really important to make sure she could go to therapy um, when she's older. Um, So the real thing is um, it's all about value exchange for the consumer. Yeah. So when they feel whatever that value exchange is, that they're getting that value, then they'll pretty much do anything at all. Uh, It's when... We intrude on their lives. Um, now, there was a big um, AR video that went around maybe five years ago. That was the nightmare of AR, which is you're walking down the street and ads are just popping up in your face. Yeah. None of us want that. Yeah. Um, but what we do want is um, Tribeca did a really interesting storytelling piece a couple years back where you had to go to a specific location to see the scene that was shot there. That would then lead you to the next location hmm. and so you moved around Tribeca yeah in order to see the film people were loving that people kind of really get into that um uh London did a uh, they did a Jimmy Choo promotion in London a few years back where if you caught Jimmy you got a free pair of sneakers and people ran through London all day yeah trying to catch that so there was that value they felt that there was value to it if it's just buy my burger, you know, ten percent off a pair of shoes, then we will pluck our eyes out pretty quick. Yeah, and I look, I you know,
0: credit to first of all, thank you for sharing that, David. Um, yeah, I mean look, I I think NBC Universal gets that. I really do. I guess my question is, do they know what the next strategy is? They understand the problem. Does anybody understand the, the solution here?
3: I guess the question is: Is it advertising's job to find out the solution, or is part of the process an experimentation mm-hmm. a necessity in order to actually finding that value? Um, and I would say, I would I would tend, and maybe it's because I work closely in the advertising agency world, um, that it, that there's some permission to experiment here, and that, that doesn't have to be life changing. It doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to have a, a pointed answer. Um, there just needs to be some level of purpose involved. Um, and that we can kind of figure this out as we go, because I don't think consumers know what they want from the technology. So yeah. part of it is to explore that throughout the process.
0: Yeah. Look, no, I think that's another great, another great point here. Uh, beyond fun and call to action, the the ability th- knowing that this is still experimental and giving yourself permission as a brand potentially to to fail. Right. Um, that this is not something that we 100% understand right now.
4: Well, and, and I think that we talk about. Work is finding what's natural with your brand I and mean, extending that experience. You know, if you're a recipe, if you're a cooking company, then you want to have a chef doing recipes. You don't necessarily want like a map to the grocery store. That could be good, but you know, it's, we have some ideas of what naturally fits when you're telling the story of your product.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yes, and if you're interested in that, check out our briefing yesterday about customer experience. Um, Let's, uh, let's keep moving here. So uh, dot LA, dot, dot .la reports that Jadu, an LA-based augmented reality startup, has raised $36 million to build out the future of AR gaming using NFT avatars. Um, now, I know what you're thinking. Is this a weird time for companies to invest $36 million in NFTs and people been paying attention uh, to uh, how much a bored ape goes for at the moment? But the pedigree of the investors here is really important, right, which suggests that Jadu is on to something. So um, unlike other AR experiences where users navigate uh, from sort of first-person uh, point of view, um, think sort of like Pokemon Go, right, uh, Jadu players uh, can stay put and move their avatar characters around their bedrooms their backyards or city streets. Um, it has the effect of playing a third-person video game, but with a real-world uh, real experience. And to show you what the heck I'm talking about, let's dive in really quickly here to a video of Jadu Gameplay. And I'm going to pop that up. So you can see here, this is like on some you know, suburban street somewhere. Uh, but functionally, you can control these avatars that get to run around, and that is a very different take than sort of Pokemon Go, where you know things are much more static, and you're the one moving around trying to find the little bit of of AR. I think it's pretty cool, uh, and I think the fact that it's tied to NFTs is like whatever. Maybe they'll come back. This technology is, I think, where people are investing. That $36 million. Now, the founder of LA, that in their view, quote, the near-term future of the metaverse, or as loosely defined, uh, you know, whatever, is going to look more like this than it will uh, just full VR headsets because people still need to acquire... Uh, those basic, um, you know, those, uh, those, <laughs> the hardware for it, right? So um, I guess this is, you know, Jadu has done pretty savvy stuff. They've done holograms for Lil Nas X and for Pussy Riot, so they kind of know what they're doing here. Um, so I know Brendan was making fun of me for being skeptical for some earlier stuff, but I think this is pretty cool, and I'm just, I'm curious your take on, on this version of immersive gaming versus maybe the Pokemon Go style AR gaming.
2: Yeah, well, I think with, um, I mean, this is obviously different because it's AR, but I think uh, seeing it in this way um, is a bit more detached because when you think of video games, we're fully immersed in the cyber world, and this, um, this time we aren't. I do think that in future, maybe because we have that kind of detachment, it can change um, our relationship with it and maybe like our expectation that comes with it. So, for example, um, with the environment, do we want it, would we eventually want um, the AR depictions um, to blend in more with the real world environment? Mm. Do we want to see it kind of go through? The physical objects, um, do we want it to look more real because it's part of the real world? It could be a question.
0: Yeah, that's a, that is a great point. Can I put, uh, yeah, Hannah, go ahead.
1: There are a lot of early adopters um, to this kind of technology saying that we should be thinking about virtual ambassadors versus virtual avatars. I think AR mm-hmm. lends itself really well to that concept because AR gives us more of a Google Earth, you know, kind of base in this reality. Um, immersive experience versus something like VR, which is really focused on kind of like second life um, social spaces. And so um, just an interesting way to think about it.
0: Yeah, I love that. Any gamers uh, in the audience want to weigh in if they like this, if they think this is looks like the future of what they'll be playing on their smartphones?
4: I mean, whenever I look at this, I kind of just see 3D webkins. Um, I'm okay. That. And it's, you, you have a pet, and that pet is maybe not available to everybody. I think that there are cool applications here. Like, as someone who is still on Pokemon Go, I'm still waiting for the point that we can line up our Pokemon and actually make them battle each other in augmented reality. Uh, no? I, had no, I had no idea you couldn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and everyone's kind of waiting for that. So, I think that this is a step towards that playability that a lot of us have been waiting for. Um, but I think connecting it into more of an individualized artistic space versus maybe more of a—it's—it's uh, it's hard to remove gaming from art, so I'm not going to get into that debate. And so what I'm going to say is, this seems cool. It seems like there is going to be a lot of development that can be applied into other apps around here, but my question is, at what point do these graphics and what you're embedding with the camera of whatever device you're using just become a secondary layer of video game rather than the actual camera-based reality,
0: Yeah, it also makes me think people are going to have to get heavy-duty phone cases because you're like running around the woods with this thing. You're going to trip. You're going to drop your phone. It's going to be an expensive problem, yeah. Um, Let's move into our uh, our final signal here talking about the the metaverse.
1: Right, right. So this one's my jam. I was thinking about how so many of the signals today, we were looking at, you know, AR glasses or you look at it through your phone and it feels kind of like this thing in between you and the experience. And I was thinking about when you go to Universal Studios or Disneyland and how they're able to create these immersive storytelling elements without the phone or without the glasses. Um, And it made me think of Universal Studios, Harry Potter World specifically. I don't know if anyone's been, but you're able to purchase a wand with a special AR little thing on the end of it, and you can go up to different elements of the park and do real spells from the book and from the movies, and things will happen. Maybe like uh, a frog will pop out of a window as soon as you do the spell, or there's different like locations throughout the park. I wanted to also bring up in the Mario world in Japan, you get this little bracelet on your arm, and when you punch the question blocks, you get points to your app. So I guess I wanted to know from the panel from anyone in the just in the room in general what you think of like the sensors in the actual objects and how it kind of brings the experience more closer to you as the character. So like, should Nike have like the sensor in the, in the footwear so when you go around the flagship store, you kick the soccer balls and you get points? Um, and so yeah, the question being, you know, what does Ikea or Urban Outfitters or Adidas do about AR hardware to create these immersive storytelling experiences? Let's brainstorm. Mm-hmm.
5: So there's really two pieces there. Um, theme parks as a specific environment or some place. Who's ever gone to a theme park by themselves? Right? We don't do that. Um, we do it on very rare occasions, yeah. right? Um, so, so one is the true social aspect, right? That ability that a bunch of us are on this thing that clacks and clacks and clacks and then gets to the top and then comes down and we're all like, Woo! Yeah. we're you know, hiding or doing whatever we're doing. It's that shared social experience that the metaverse hasn't really captured well yet. Mm. You know, I'm doing my own thing um, and, and, and I, I can have fun there, but I'm still in a thing and I'm still not connecting with you while in the roller coaster I'm squeezing your hand or we're looking at each other or we're turning behind us to see what's going on. So, so that's one thing, figuring out what the real social interaction is in the metaverse. Um, that could be fun. But to your second point, I don't know why stores aren't doing things like that. Why aren't we gam- gamifying the physical world to create, again, whatever I choose to be value to me. You might look at kicking a soccer ball at a Nike store and go, that's the stupidest thing ever. And I would never do that. And I might think, that's the most awesome thing ever. Okay. Um, you know but we're not to to your point earlier on the screen sorry I don't know your name but we're not experimenting enough to to figure out well what's going to work and how do we play and what is success like I can tell you again from wearing Google Glass, Google Glass was not a failure it did everything Google wanted it to do. Got us to wear it. It got me to engage with people to understand what privacy looked like and what those arguments were. It, if they, if they, I had no privacy argument. I would won in two and a half years. Mainly, people bought me beers so that they could play with it. <laughs> that was my experience. Maybe um, can so, I can I ask really quick?
0: Yeah. So you wore it for two and a half years. Yeah. Why did you take it off?
5: It uh, didn't work anymore. I broke them. Interesting. I, and, okay. And, you know, I just, I literally snapped the the temple. Yeah. Um. And I and they don't really work. You know, the software hasn't been updated in right. five years at this point.
0: But and, um, and just to just to, to to get to some points that 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 I think are really important is, you know, there is a tension, and it's funny to do this after we had this whole conversation yesterday about customer experience that there is a tension here between. The desire for the kind of storytelling we want to do, and the hardware that's capable of doing it, and so I would wonder—you know—we were talking yesterday about Saks Fifth Avenue opening up like, uh, like a basically a technology lab in their space, and, and replacing their makeup counter with that. Right? That's a really interesting thing to do, but I also think the technology might be a bit easier for that. But if you think about Urban Outfitters gamifying their space, it's not just getting one you know, smart mirror to play with. You'd also have to think about beacons and sensors. And is a smartphone the right way to do that? And you can control with the wand. But what does the wand look like for, for Urban Outfitters? So I, I think, um, yeah, yes, wand, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that's part of the tension here, is brands saying, OK, we know this stuff works. We know it's interesting, but it's experimental and it's Kind of expensive to put together. So how do we find the ways in which we make these strategic investments to do that really great storytelling, but also explain that to our shareholders? You know, and so it's exciting about this whole briefing and what we saw with NBC Universal and the and the, the signal before that suggests ways or people are people getting involved with that. But you cannot start playing with AR until you figure out where you sit on that tension between wanting to invest in the technologies that make it possible and the storytelling that it would be that would make it impactful, basically.
4: I know that this goes against the initial you need the fun in this. I'm going to say that maybe fun is shorthand for functional. Because if we're bringing it back into making this a safe investment, looking at that public policy side of things those educational applications for augmented reality, like, I have seen systems where people are training auto mechanics with AR now, so that if you aren't in a space where you have the vehicle and the tools, you can know how to do these things. And especially coming out of COVID, if all of a sudden you are someone who doesn't have the means or the ability to get somewhere to learn these skills, but you're able to do this remotely right. uh, It's There are very safe bets that can come from that same exact technology mm-hmm. that could be used to sway an investment in there if you also want to be doing something fun with
0: it. Yeah. But ultimately, that is still the whole idea of aligning the technology with the outcome. And the outcome is mostly going to be fun, but it might also be like making sure the plane that you're on that's crashing doesn't you know, slam into a mountain, uh, which is something I read about recently. <laughs> um, Let's move to wrap-ups, because we could talk about this forever. And I'm actually going to toss out sort of our, our original wrap-ups. And I'm just curious from our, from our panel today, like we've talked about call to actions. We've talked about fun. What are like the key points you feel like AR needs to hit to
3: be really relevant? And Brendan, I'll, I'll start with you. Sure. Um, one thing that uh, David picked up on that I really wanted to, to think a little bit more about, and uh, David, Brendan, nice to meet you, by the way. Um, was uh, as it related to that last signal, thinking about um, what the mindset of a consumer, of a a person in general, like, what are you doing? And so if you show up to a uh, theme park, you have a, a mindset of wanting to experiment, of wanting to learn. The other piece that I thought was interesting about that last signal was, we're not just talking about any theme parks, we're talking about Harry Potter world and Disney, where shared fandom and passion is also really ripe. So I would say as a challenge, What are the shared affinities? What is the common ground that is is existing? Um, And how do you grow that and use that sort of motivation um, to provide that permission for experimentation? Um, The other thing that I wanted to pick up on really quickly to wrap up um, that Trevor pointed out, I think inherently any technology that is increasing access um, also has an uphill battle to um, sort of sort of combat taboos. So a uh, good example, just being online education being lesser than a in-person education. So I think one thing to think about is while we're increasing accessibility, we also have to talk about that um, uh, we're, not tra- we're, we're not trading off or, uh, or we're not providing a lesser than education. And I think that will be something that brands will have to help um, from a storytelling perspective, show that value as we scale those skills as well. you
0: What's your your, your your pithy takeaway? You've you got to hit this if you're going to get AR right.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm still thinking about the kid alt EOC that was popping up and essentially thinking, like, how does Kroger and Talbots play off the idea that the kids are in the store and they're bored and so there's an AR thing for them to do so mom can shop for her cardigans, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what is that application so that they're... You know, not suffering.
0: My mom would be so proud of me if I was on a Talbots project. All us Talbots. <laughs> I do love that though. That's really that's really great. Um, Ketsi, what's uh, what's your takeaway for AR storytelling?
2: Um, yeah, I think the one that stood out to me the most, and I guess one that we've been speaking about a lot, would be the Google one. Um, I think again, especially with advertising. Um, when I was thinking about it, I was also thinking about the hardware component um, of it and how that could be furthered. So. If there are already ads, for example, um, how could you kind of heighten that experience or would you have tiers for that? So right. would you have kind of a standard one where um, there are ads popping up and maybe one where there's one, maybe one where it's more seamless, for example? And what would be the price point of that? I know that in the um, immersive storytelling uh, briefing, I think it was Saif who mentioned uh, pricing once. And I think that it's interesting to see how these things would be enacted physically. Um, and the price points and who has accessibility to that um, since this is such a new and pioneering space.
0: I love th- you are You are 10 steps ahead of us as always, Betsy. <laughs> I love it. Um, that's going to take us through our briefing for the day. A big thank you to Tetsy, Carrera, and, and Brendan. Uh, thank you to our lovely studio audience and thank you for joining in. You can join us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on our LinkedIn page at New New York Time. While you're there, jump in the comments section. Let us know your thoughts, your hot takes, perhaps your uh, children's uh, breakfast cereal preferences. Um, we would love to address them live. Uh, if you're interested in Q, the cultural intelligence platform we use uh, every day for our briefings, it gives us incredible quantitative and qualitative insights when we look into subjects just like this. We'd love to give you a demo. So until tomorrow, when we do our Juneteenth briefing, it's going to be really awesome. I think we're going to learn a lot. Consider yourselves briefed.